Please be seated. If you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5. I'm also going to read Job 2020 and Philippians 4. So we're in a bunch of different texts here. But as we, we're finishing up the Ten Commandments this morning, and you know we've looked at the Ten Commandments several different ways, right? That this is the good life, uh, the life that is good, right? God tells us to do good. Um, good in Hebrew also means attractive or beautiful. So this is a, a life that's attractive to others and to God. Uh, we've talked about the Ten Commandments in terms of this, this is the the list of rights that God has and our neighbor has. In other words, this is what we owe God and our fellow human beings, uh, those around us. Uh, we've looked at the Ten Commandments It's uh, as describing and, and commanding a life of love. It's showing you what love looks like. And then really, because the Ten Commandments are describing perfection, we're also seeing the kind of life Jesus lived, uh, the beauty of his perfection, the depths of his suffering that it took for him to say no to sin, uh, to, to achieve perfection. But then that also means you're describing how God sees us in Christ. <laughs> uh, we talked about last week of if you have received Christ's righteousness, this is now our reputation in, our, in God's eyes. That white faith, God treats Christians as if we had kept the Ten Commandments perfectly. <laughs> and then, of course, the, the, the missional aspect we've been looking at, too, as, as we live out these commandments together in in community, we become living witnesses of the power of Christ's resurrection and God's presence with us. Um, God will know us by our love for one another. And what does that love look like? Well, love for one another, uh, the Ten Commandments. So we're going to talk about the Tenth Commandment that really does tie all of them together. And let's, so we're going to talk about coveting this morning. Let's read these texts and pray. This is God's word. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then in verse 21, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. And then Job 2020, describing um, I thought the heart of the wicked, the selfish says, because the, the wicked knew no contentment in his belly, he will not let anything escape in which he delights. And then Philippians 4 gives us the positive view of the 10th commandment. Verses 10 through 13 here. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me, says Paul. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. 
And this is God's word he has spoken to us today in love. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, uh, I, I pray that as we meditate on your desires today, um, that we would see more clearly it is your steadfast love that pursues us, that follows us all the days of our lives. And that because you love us with this great love, that that changes the way we love. And so to change what we love, Lord, we need your spirit to do battle for us, to do battle against our selfish impulses, uh, to be content with the life that you have given us. So we ask now that, that your spirit would be at work, that we would well, be made ready and willing from now on to live for, for Jesus who loved us and gave himself up for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's start with a question. Uh, what, what do you love? <laughs> or maybe a better question in light of the 10th commandment is what do you want? Right? What, it, what is it you, you dream for? What is it you long for? Right? If you were to make a, a list, right? where this is Christmas season, everybody's making a list of what they want. If you, if you had to make a list to prioritize what you love, what, is, what are the most important things in your life? Right? What would be on that list? Right? I imagine it would be something like God, family, friends, your kids, your cat, your community, right? If you're a kid, maybe your, your collection of Pokemon cards, <laughs> right? If you're an Eagles fan, for the Cowboys to be humiliated in the playoffs, right? How you order that list says a lot, right? I mean, if you love your cat more than your children, right, you have a coveting problem. <laughs> I have all kinds of problems, right? That that if you actually also take a step back and, and look at your habits, if you look at the, the, your sp the way you spend your money, the way you spend your time, would, would that list that you have prioritized, would your habits match up what you say you love? Right? What kind of priorities would do your habits reveal? See, we're talking about the tenth commandment this morning: "You shall not covet. You not, shall not desire your neighbor's wife, their ox, their donkey, their servants, their stuff, anything that belongs to them." But what the tenth commandment does that is unique out of all the commandments is it's the only one that explicitly goes after your your heart. It goes after the inside. It's it's legislating your loves what you want, right? Uh, Chris Wright, uh, a great Old Testament uh, teacher, says the inclusion of coveting in the Ten Commandments shows that covenant loyalty to God goes much deeper than just external conformity to the law. The God who claimed the people's love also claims the rest of their affections and desires, right? And so he's saying that um, what, what we've been talking about and meditating on each week, but he's saying out loud, right? The Ten Commandments are not just about behavior. You can feel like you're a great person if you only look at behavior, because I haven't killed anyone, right? I haven't, you know, if, you, if you're not a pickpocket, you don't feel guilty about stealing. If you're generally truthful, right? You feel like I'm doing all right, or at least better than the other people. But what the Tenth Commandment does, it says, let's talk about your motivation. Let's talk about what you're craving. Let's talk about the thoughts, desires, and intention of your heart, as Hebrews will write. Right? And so 
That means the life of faith, according to the 10th commandment, is just learning and relearning how to love, having your loves reordered. Um, that's our reflection this morning from a book, You Are What You Love. All right, the discipleship, following Jesus is a way to curate your heart to, to actually pay attention to, right? We pay attention to what we love and then be intentional about what you love. Because Jesus isn't just a teacher who tells, gives us information, who informs our intellect, but he's starting to shape and form our very loves, right? He doesn't just want to deposit new ideas in your mind. He's after nothing less than your wants, your loves, your longings, um, right? So we're tapping into the story of the 10th commandment. And so with that introduction, let's start to meditate. What is a life of what does a life lived according to the 10th commandment look like? And the, the first thing the 10th commandment does is it's, it's revealing. It's telling you and I what is wrong with, with human beings, right? So the, the, the catechism, right? the larger catechism, interestingly, right? The 10th commandment, it's really brief compared to all the rest. But the Tenth Commandment says uh, it requires us that we be so completely satisfied with our own status in life and have such a proper loving attitudes towards others that we are naturally inclined to wish the best for them and all their possessions. So does that describe you or me? Right? It's the commandment begins with look at what your neighbor has and be thrilled for the way God has provided for them without any kind of, I need what they have, I want that, right? It's don't, don't desire what God has given someone else. Right, so that's just the beginning. But if you listen carefully, right, you're, you're also hearing the 10th commandment, internalizing every other commandment uh, even in the list, it touches a couple of them, right? Don't don't want your neighbor's stuff because the moment you want it, you're going to be tempted to take it. That's do not steal, right? The, the idea is you can't break commandments one through nine without also first breaking the 10th. Letting your desires for something else control you, right? Because why do you lie? Or why do we steal? Why do we? Why do people commit adultery and, and blow up a family, a, a marriage? Why do, why do people kill? Why do children say, I don't want to listen to my parents. I'm going to do what I want. Why do folks uh, refuse to, to rest one day a week and give God that, that, that time? Why, why do people take the Lord's name in vain or commit idolatry or worship another God? I mean, it boils down to what do you want? What are you desiring? Right? And that simple phrase, I want, has wreaked, it's just brought all kinds of chaos into our lives internally, and then the damage done to those around us. All right, I'm not making this up. James chapter four, this is his his argument to, to Christians, to a church, right? Why are you quarreling and fighting? Is it not because your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and can't have it, so you fight and quarrel. 
that's why I say the 10th commandment's revealing. It, it's, it's, it's showing me, it's showing us the, the depths of our internal dysfunction. Uh, the fact that I don't desire what God wants me to desire in the way he wants me to desire them. Right. And so that's why Augustine, one of, he's one of my favorite theologians, right? He, he, he describes sin as he's picking up on this idea of, of coveting and, and loving, right? Sin, yeah, sin is law-breaking, but sin, because sin is a lack of love for God and our neighbor, sin in, his, in its essence, according to Augustine, is disordered love. Uh, priorities that are all out of whack is the way I would put it, right? When you love the wrong thing, that's when we, and you love it too much, uh, that's when we get in trouble, right? I mean, the really obvious example, if you've ever watched the TV show Hoarders, right? I mean, they're just trying to get people to clean their house so their children can live there. And they, they love their stuff for all kinds of complicated reasons so much, that it's making life unlivable for others, right? It's, it's disordered love. It's uh, destructive love because they love something too much, right? And so that's, that's what the 10th commandment's getting after. It's, it's guard your heart above all else. Guard what you love because what you love shapes and runs, uh, determines the whole course of your life. Right? It's, it's revealing that you and I, to be fully human, uh, to live a life of love, right? we need a heart that desires the right thing with the right priorities in the right way. Right? And so coveting is part of the fall. I mean, I'm hoping you can see this. This is the world we live in. That, that when you get to the 10th commandment, it's, it's holding up a mirror. It's, it's showing us why we need a savior, why we need Christmas to be true, right? Because if you go back to Genesis 2 and 3, it'd be good to turn there. Coveting is connected to what went wrong. We have the explanation of why, why is it so hard to control what I want? So Genesis 2, right? The word, it's interesting, the word used for covet in Deuteronomy is found in the, in the Genesis stories here, in, in the Eden stories, because Eden is telling us, here's why, why we are the way we are. Here, here's the, the source of our unwellness, our discontentment, our, our cravings. So in Genesis 2, in verse 8, right, God, the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And then it says, um, out of the ground, he, he makes every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. That's verse nine. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But you could highlight that word pleasant. It's the same Hebrew word that's translated in Deuteronomy as coveting, right? Something that's desirable, uh, it's attractive. So what, what you're being shown, I think in, in Genesis that we can, can start to do some comparing here, right? God made desire itself isn't evil, right? That, that's a very Eastern way of looking at desire. The desire itself is evil. And, and what will make me more human is to cease desiring, right? Now, what, what, what the, the Hebrew Bible, what, what the scriptures are telling us is the trees were made 
desirable, good for food. They're attractive. So something that is in the world that, that is enjoyable, it's a gift. It comes from God above. It's, it's for our contentment to rejoice in what God has given. It's, it's a beautiful portrait of what God's character is like, that he has not made the good food forbidden and just left you with a bland, tasteless existence, <laughs> right? The trees are attractive. Pleasure is God's idea. Right? And so you got that idea. That means both trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they're both pleasant to the eyes. Right? Something to think about. So the, the tree that will lead to life is beautiful, but so is the tree that could lead to death. Which one will Adam and Eve choose? And so you fast forward to Genesis 3 here, right? When the serpent comes along and, and has Adam and Eve question the veracity of God's word, they question his character. Did God really say? And they believe the lie. And in verse 6, it says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make ones wise, she took of the fruit and ate it, and she gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And so if you're following the covenant idea, the same word for covet is right there, that the tree was to be desired, covetable. Adam and Eve gave into their craving, their desire to be like God. And the fallout is every human being now has a dysfunctional relationship with their desires. Right? It's what Tim Keller describes that everyone has this life dominating intense craving or desire for something. And now our desires rule over us rather than being ruled over. Right? It gets played out in a gazillion different ways in the rest of the story. The question is, do you see that in yourself, right? You can't come to anyone and just say, stop it, fix your behavior, right? Because what's going on is a, an internal battle with desires for something good and something destructive. And until that desire is changed, they will never change their behavior because the problem is the human heart. That's what the 10th commandment's revealing, right? I mean, Job sums up the world, I mean, this is the world we live in too. You see, Job 2020 summarizes this well, right? Before you've got the tree, but it, here's desire run rampant. Because it says, because he knew no contentment in his belly, he will not let anything in which he delights escape him. Right? Where, where now the portrait of, of human nature uh, unrestrained is that looks fun that looks enjoyable. It look, it's, it's worth desiring. So why would I ever say no to myself? Right? And that word delights, it's the same word for coveting. And so this is, this is the world in which we live. This is, this is the way you are being discipled. The moment you step outside these walls, this is what the world is saying is, is it's okay to say, I want, I want, I want. Don't miss out on any pleasure that this world has to offer. And that looks a lot more attractive than God's wisdom by comparison. Because God says, hey, let's talk about your desires. All right? 
don't desire anything that belongs to your neighbor. There's boundaries on your desire. It's, you should be able to say, stop it to yourself and control yourself, right? This is how commercials work. If you, if, it's really silly when you talk about them without the visual aids, right? Watch, watch, uh, watch an advertisement for an iPhone, a brand new iPhone, right? Some, some of the ones I've seen lately, right? It's just the phone. It's dark all around. It's bright and shiny, and they're doing everything they can to make this phone desirable, to make it look sexy, right? And the, the, the message is, you want this, you need this. You can't, have, you can't live a good life without this. Just cave into your desires. It's pleasant to the eyes, desirable to make you wise, to make you a better human. It's even sillier when it's something like dish soap right you know where everything is miserable until you use the right dish soap and all of a sudden the spouse who was frazzled and and ragged because she's using the wrong dish soap now she looks good and her husband kisses her right he said really silly without the visual aids but they're they're tapping in and and discipling us if there's something that's desirable why would you ever say no get out your wallet right see the 10th commandment is revealing. It's, it's showing us our hearts. And we're in a battle with the world. It's discipling us to say, don't let anything delightful get away. And the scriptures are saying, are your desires in the right place? All right, so that means to not covet, to, be, to live a life of contentment. I need a heart that loves what God loves. Something that'll restrain my desires. Let's look at the, the positive side, right? The 10th the commandment's not only revealing that we have a problem, it's also demanding contentment. If you're gonna rejoice in what someone else has and to not want what they have, you have to be content with wherever God has put you, right? So that's, that's where Philippians 4 comes, comes and helps us, where Paul in prison is saying, I've, I've learned that whatever situation I'm in, I've learned to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to, to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. And that's the context where he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And talk about a verse always taken out of context. <laughs> Nobody quotes that. I was saying, I've learned how to be poor and patient with it. But that's what Paul is saying. Right. He, interestingly, the, the resurrection of Jesus has taught Paul to be content where God has him. Right. And he's not a stoic. He's not just saying, oh, I got to suck it up and this is God's plan. And he's, he's saying this with gritted, gritted teeth. No, over and over again, he's saying, rejoice, rejoice. He's an emotional guy. Right? And nor is Paul just saying um, you should never want to not be poor, right? Earlier in the same chapter, a couple of verses ahead, earlier, Paul said it, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, make your needs known to God. So it's okay to pray, Lord, the circumstance stinks, it hurts, I have needs, provide for me. Because right? desire is not the enemy. 
But Paul is able to say, and this is what's so convicting, because I have Jesus, because I have the power of the resurrection, I have a source of joy, thanksgiving, and peace that's not wrapped up in this world, not in material things. I'm content. He isn't dominated by desire. Even in other other places, he'll say, no, that was my problem. The 10th commandment is the reason I, I saw I needed Jesus. You know, I think part of what Paul is saying is this is his testimony of faith. God has reordered my loves to the point where I can be content in whatever situation I'm in. Why is that hard for us? Well, Jesus tells a great story in Matthew chapter 6, um, where he says, in the, in the context of anxiety and in the context of the things that, of desire, where he says, do not lay up treasures for yourself here on earth. Where, where things like moth and rust will destroy them, or, or thieves can break in and steal. Because where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Right? And, and what is Jesus saying? He's saying, if you desire the wrong thing, you're signing up for suffering. Because if you put your life, your hopes, your dreams into something here on earth. If that means your, your loves are vulnerable. Right? They're either going to fall apart, they're going to break, they're going to leave, they're going to be stolen. Right? And it makes you vulnerable. And it makes it impossible to be content. Right? Because what is life in this fallen world but a, a slow process of having having moths destroy and rust decay and thieves steal. And even if you have it at the end, it goes to someone else. And so part of the gift of the 10th commandment is saying, be content in what God has given you. Treasure, right? Have, let God be your treasure so you're not controlled by the things of this world. Right? Given the choice, unfortunately, to worship God or our stuff, that's the temptation we all struggle with, right? That, that we live as if our lives consist in the abundance of our stuff. So the New Testament comes along and says, okay, where, what do you value? What do you love? This is all coveting language. Paul will say, okay, now that you have Jesus, put to death covetousness which is idolatry. And so if you follow Paul's logic, this is the, they'll tie this together. As we covet, you end up worshiping something more than God, loving something more than God. You make what you love your God. And then you're saying to something in this world or someone, right? Love me, save me, redeem me, rescue me, make my life satisfactory, meaningful, Make me content. But you can't get contentment outside of this world, inside this world. It has to come from the outside. And so what's fascinating is what Paul does for us is, right, if, if you can take the 10th commandment and see how it connects to all the commandments, he's saying, if you break the 10th commandment, you've also broken the first. We have covetous hearts that need healed. 
So what will heal our wandering hearts? Right? If our problem is disordered loves and, and loving things too much that make us vulnerable to this crushing anxiety or just constantly searching for contentment, right? what we're being shown is human beings need to be given a heart that is able to love well, to love God and love our neighbor. Um, that's able to enjoy this world, but not be controlled by the by that search. Right? And, and the only thing, according to the scriptures, that will heal a heart that doesn't love well is a love that will grab, grab a hold of your heart and grab your attention. Right? It has to be a love that's stronger than what you love. In other words, our desire for God and his will, right? yeah, on the one hand, it has to be stronger than our desire for what we want. And so we need a love out there that will grab the attention of the eyes of our heart to change what we want. Uh, it's, it's Thomas Chalmers. It's the expulsive power of a new affection. Uh, it's the power of a love outside of you that changes what you want. And since I don't have that in me, where in the world do we get that kind of love, that kind of intense desire that will grab our attention? Right? And, and the answer is, of course, Jesus. That's what we're going to meditate on here. Right? I mean, one, you get to see an example in Jesus of someone who desires rightly. Right? If Jesus is the perfect human, that means he lived a life without coveting. Right? And, and he had more than multiple opportunities to covet, especially as Jesus, the better Adam, the better Israel is in the wilderness. Remember the wilderness temptation accounts where Jesus is in the desert for 40 days. He's hungry. Right? You can't accuse Jesus of not having desire. He's fully human like this. He's hungry. Right? And I'm, I'm guessing none of us in this room know what it's like to be that hungry after 40 days, right? I mean, I, I've gone camping with teenagers, right? Three, four days, two days in, all they talk about is food, right? They're hungry and we're actually eating. <laughs> we're not fasting. Right now, Jesus is starving and the tempter comes along and, and meets him at the place of desire and says, if Jesus, if you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread. Right? And so there's the test, the desire test. God is allowing you to go hungry. Is he if you are the son of God, why are you hungry? Why is he not meeting your needs? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? Satan is saying, be anxious about your life, Jesus. Take your life into your own hands. Use your power for yourself to satisfy your desires. Covet bread. God will forgive you, right? You're hungry. Of course, Jesus's response is man does not live by bread alone, but by the very word of God, where Jesus has the audacity to say, uh, I'm going to trust that my father will give me what I need. I am more controlled by my, what my father wants for my life than by what I want for my life. And the older I get, the more otherworldly that that is where he can look at what is pleasant to the eyes and say no. 
He has a mastery of desire because he's controlled by his father's love, by his father's desires, right? And so what is our, what is our father's desire that that will shape our hearts? Well, Jeremiah 31 says something incredible uh, that he's talking about Israel, his dear son, his beloved son, that he has been speaking, right? You read Jeremiah, it's like 29 chapters of judgment and doom and gloom. And then he stops in chapter 31 and says, is he my dear son, right? You can hear the, the tender language. Is he my darling child? As often as I speak of, against him, I do remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. Because of that yearning, I will surely have mercy on him. And so it's just one testimony in the Old Testament saying, God wants his people. What is, his, what is God's desire? It's, it's, it's his Israel, his beloved. And he is more than aware that we, that are internally, we are not well. Because his, go, his the, the language, right? Follow it. My heart yearns for my people. I will have mercy on them. <laughs> God wants you. That's why he sent Jesus to live the life we should have lived so that he could have mercy on us, right? So when we look at sinners, we go, that's, I don't want to have anything to do with somebody who's going to hurt me. They are the undesirables. But, but God in his heart, as he looks at his people, those who are loved before the foundation of the world, my heart yearns for them. I want to show mercy to them. And the way I'm going to show mercy to you is by becoming undesirable myself. And that's what Jesus does. Because when you get to Isaiah 53, the story of the suffering servant, you know how Jesus is described. He grew up like before God, like a young plant. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him that we should want him, covet him, that in love to show us mercy, to have us, Jesus in willing submission to the Father became undesirable to us so that, that we might be forgiven. And that's all in love, right? I mean, when he went to the cross, dying at undesirable because he's bearing our curse, being treated as those who've coveted, right? He, he's staying committed to us while we were undesirable, even to death on a cross. So that you and I would be adopted as sons and daughters and be given a new heart that is learning to love the way Jesus loves, learning to love our Father's will, right? So if you believe the gospel, you're, you're hearing that God coveted at us when we weren't pleasing to the eyes, if you put it that way, in order that he might make us radiant, beautiful in Christ to, to rehabilitate our loves. And so the good news of the gospel is not only does, the gospel, does, does God's word say, don't want the wrong things. I'm now, because once you become a Christian, you're given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit's job is now is you have God himself 
doing war with your desires, fighting for control of your heart. Because what the Holy Spirit does is he pours out the Father's love into your heart. And so all of a sudden you realize God loves me. And when you, when you come to that real experience of where, where your faith meets you and your, your sin, your wants, say, if he loves me that much, maybe I, I don't have this loving thing down correctly. God, what do you want me to, what do you want me to want? Right. And that, that's, that's the Holy Spirit going to work. And so not only does he pour out God's love into your heart and give you this very real testimony that you belong to him and that you're wanted. Uh, he then starts to do battle for you against our, our what, what Paul calls the desires of the flesh in, in Galatians 5. Fighting to protect us from our destructive desires to help us keep the 10th commandment. All right. The, the Holy Spirit, what is, what is God up to in your life right now? He is at work saying, do you, do you love the right things? Do you have your priorities uh, in line with, with the fruit of the Spirit? Right? To love God, love your neighbor. That's what Jesus is up to. And so to the extent that you and I believe that, that otherworldly love, <laughs> that, that really does go to work and say, I have... I don't love things well. Jesus, teach me to love as you loved. And, and honestly, the only way I know to do that um, is, is to continually preach this reality to yourself each and every day in community and not alone. Um, because what, what Jesus is asking us is to look at your habits and say, do they line up with everything we've talked about in the Ten Commandments? <laughs> with can you honestly say, oh, Lord, may your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, because I want your will to be done here on earth in my life to tell me no. Right? And, and the only times I'm rational when I'm thinking about God's will and saying I want his will to be done is when I see how, how much he wants me, uh, that, that, that he loves us. And right? so I, I look at, I love to go back to places like Luke 22 uh, Jesus, the Last Supper, you, know, you want to know how much we are wanted? Jesus says to his friends, his disciples, I have earnestly desired to eat this meal with you. And the language Jesus uses is the Greek word for covet, epithumia, uh, extraordinarily desire, this controlling desire. I've wanted to eat this meal with you even though I know it means I'm going to break my body for you and shed my blood for the remission of your sins. I mean, that is, that is love saying, I want to love you and it's going to hurt me. See, the more our hearts are gripped by that grace, the more we're willing to let God's love train our loves. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the humbling gift of the 10th commandment that shows us what we're like. And we thank you for Jesus who, well, loves us more than we can imagine, despite what we've loved wrongly. And so I pray for us as a church that we would be a community that 
well, that they, they were willing to let you tell us no, that you were willing to, to ask for help. So, Lord, I pray for your spirit to pour out your love into our hearts that we might love you and love our neighbor as ourselves. And also be willing to, uh, to, to confess when we fall short because we, we love your mercy that, that does follow us all the days of our lives. So make us living witnesses of the, the power of the resurrection, which is to change our hearts. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as you're able. We'll sing joy to the world. <laughs>